Welcome to the Word of Life podcast, a ministry of Word of Life Church, located in Lesueur, Minnesota. From sermon audio to midweek content and much more, we hope you are blessed by what you hear. For more information or to donate, please visit wordoflifemn.com. Now, enjoy this week's episode. Would you pray with me? Holy Father, we, we thank you for this day. God, a, a glorious day that we're, we're here that we can welcome CC into your family. A gift of grace that you give us. God, may this, as we, as we watch this baptism, may it remind us of our, of our own baptism, of that, of that gift of grace that you offer to each and every one of us. And we are so thankful for that. But God, we also recognize too that the life is not just all sunny days. Some of us are going through the storm right now. Pray for Angel's mother was in the hospital, couldn't be here with us today. God, I pray that you would provide swift healing for her. God, I lift up to you Ron Church today as he is healing from surgery as well. Would you give him peace and comfort as well? We lift up Bill and AJ, Mariah and Pastor Mark and their ongoing battles with cancer. God, you are the great physician. We put our trust in you. Lord, I lift up to you, word of life. Lesur and New Prague and online. God, may, may this church be a testament of your faithfulness. Not only may it be a testament of your faithfulness, God, but may this be a place that we can come and be refreshed by the message of the gospel and sent out to share that with others. To share that with others, God, that we may invite more and more and more people into your kingdom to hear about how good you are, Jesus. God, I pray that you would Fill our hearts today. God, I pray that you would use me, a humble and an honestly an unworthy servant, to speak your truth. But God, we know that you used the donkey to speak your truth. God, we know that the rocks will even cry out your praises, Lord. I pray that you would use me today to point your grace. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So obviously last week was, was Easter Sunday, and it, it's hard to like, you know, I guess I don't know how other churches do it. If they just pivot away from Easter right away, or, you know, it was like a one-week thing, and 
and then it's done, and we move on to the next. feels like that's what our world is like sometimes. It's like the thing comes, and then boom, it's done, and we're on to something else. But, but today, I'd, I'd like us to, to sit in this Easter mode one more week, at least. Um, the text that we're going to be looking at today is actually a, a super traditional post-Easter text. Part of it is, is, is because it's this, this encounter that the disciples have after seeing the risen Christ. But I also think that the theme of today marries really well the story of the resurrection. So if you have your Bibles with you, uh, we're going to be looking at the book of John this morning. We'll also be up on the screen as well. John chapter 20, reading in Jesus' name, starting in verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But Thomas said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger in the mark of those nails and place my hand in his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. And although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. And put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve. Some translations say, Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God, And Jesus said, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. You know, it's kind of funny about Thomas, isn't it? Like he's the disciple who gets the nickname, right? Doubting Thomas. I mean, he's not, like Judas betrays Jesus and he doesn't, We don't call him betraying Judas. Peter denies Christ three times. He doesn't get a nickname. But Thomas, right, as we were, I mean, Thomas doubts. I get it. He doubts. But man, what a tough, like, he got the short end of the stick. For the rest of time, he is known as doubting Thomas. Kind of a tough break for, for Thomas. You know, this... This account, this story of doubting Thomas, I think it's really a, it's a relatable story to us. Actually, throughout history, it's been a very relatable story. Um, probably best captured, if we can put this, this picture up, best captured in this painting right here. This painting is called The Incredulity of St. Thomas by the artist Caravaggio. Now, before we go any further, I'm confident there are some of you in here who know way more about art than I do. Um, you know, I, I, can't, I don't know how many artists I can name. 
if you had to really put me on the spot, I, you know, like, I can name some guys who, like, draw comics, you know? I, I'm a comic strip kind of guy, but, but I did a little bit of learning about this painting this week, and there's some really interesting things that I want to point out to you about this. So, number one, when they talk about when you're going you're gonna to appreciate art, is what is the first thing that grabs your eye? Usually, it's what's in the center of the image. And Caravaggio here, in this painting, that's, that, and Caravaggio himself known for these, these light and, and the shading and, and the way that it's designed, right, he puts right in the center of the painting, Thomas. A lot of folks think that this is Peter and John surrounding him, looking in close. And this is very similar to how Caravaggio painted Peter in other works of art. And then, of course, we see that image of Thomas's finger into the wound in Jesus's side. It's, it's a visceral image without being gory. Uh, this painting was commissioned. Uh, Carva they, someone had, uh, had asked Caravaggio to paint this for them. I think that's really interesting because, you know, I don't know about you, if you were going to, if you were going to ask someone, you're going to pay someone to make a painting, even if we we're just going to say biblical artwork, I, I guess I don't know if this is the scene that I'd pick right away. But this is what they wanted. And what's really kind of interesting about this is after Caravaggio gets done painting and they put this up, this painting really takes the art world by storm at this time in the 17th century. Now, today, if you like this painting, you can go on the internet and buy a print of it and put it up in your house. But at that time, if you loved this painting and wanted it for yourself, you would hire someone who was like a professional like, uh, painting copier. You know what I mean? Like they, they would look at it and they would do their best to paint it, and then you could have a copy for yourself. This painting became one of the most copied paintings of the entire 17th century. Today, there's still like 22 versions of this painting floating around the world, which for a painting that old is pretty impressive. It also speaks to how good these uh, art copiers were is that the one that they think is Caravaggio's, the original, they're not like totally sure about it. Um, that is quite the skill, I think. But the, one of the other things that I think is really unique about this is that if you were to go see this painting in real life, it's hanging in an art museum in Germany, the size of it is, it's impressive. It is, it is nearly life-size, and you were to walk into this room and you have this very large painting of the most famous doubting person in history. I think it's relatable. There's something about this story of doubt that we get, that we understand. You know, that in our text today, we see, you know, Jesus is, is coming to, to see the disciples. It's a real fraught time for this group of guys. 
They've, they've come through the, the days of Jesus being arrested, tortured and beaten and nailed to a cross and killed, buried in a tomb. And these guys are pretty convinced that, like, they're next. They are scared. And what often happens with a scared heart is a scare that we, that we fall into the sin of despair and doubt. These disciples were not sure that they were going to make it out alive. But, but they're scared. I mean, they're, they're shaking in their boots, scared, as they're hiding in this, in this room reminiscent to the upper room that we see passage of the Lord's Supper come out of, they are scared and do not know what to do. They have no hope, no vision for the future. They're scared. Thomas is there, and, and he's the one disciple who, who, who didn't see Christ yet. These disciples have been with Jesus for three years. They'd seen him do miracles. They'd seen him raise the dead and heal people and cast out demons and feed thousands of people. And yet when they can't see the risen Christ, they don't believe. Even those first words of Mary Magdalene after seeing Jesus at the tomb, they, she comes to tell them they, they don't believe. But then some of them get to see Jesus. And, but Thomas, he's like, Thomas is kind of a realist. Thomas says, if I can't put my fingers into the nail holes of Jesus' hands, if I can't physically touch the wound on his side, our verse says, I will never believe. Have you met folks like that? Maybe you're one of them. Have you met folks like that? I will never believe. Thomas demands visible, tangible proof before he'll budge even an inch. You know, I can, I can picture how, I'm, for those of, you, I, those of you who have been worshiping here at Word of Life, you know that I, I, have, a, I have one of my favorite subjects that I talk about is, is growing up in North Dakota. It's the best place on earth. It's, it's God's country. If you're new... I'm from North Dakota. And, and I, I, can, I can picture how people where I'm from would, would describe a man like Thomas. I think they'd call Thomas bullheaded. I grew up around, my grandfather ranched quarter horses for a long time, and every once in a while he'd get a mule. Thomas is a real mule of a man. Stubborn. A dyed-in-the-wool skeptic. Brothers and sisters, I have to tell you right now, I thank God that Thomas was like that. That's good news for us today. Thank God for the man who doubted Easter. Through that, we see this beautiful picture of grace that Jesus provides for us. Uh, Pope Gregory, sometimes they call him St. Gregory, he, he said this, more does the doubt of Thomas 
help us to believe than the faith of the disciples who already believed. I'll say that again. More does the doubt of Thomas help us to believe than the faith of the, of the disciples who already believed. See, I thank God that Thomas doubted. For when he later touched the wounds in the flesh of his master, he healed in us the wounds of our unbelief. Think about it. What, what was Thomas's hang-up, right? He, he, he wanted to see something real, something you can you could sink your teeth into. Thomas was, he was there all along. He had seen the blood drip from Jesus' dying body. He had seen the steel penetrate Jesus' side. He, he had seen the wood smeared crimson with blood. He had seen the stone rolled in front of the tomb. He had seen it all. And for Thomas, seeing is believing. <coughs> but there's only one problem. Scripture tells us that believing is not seeing. See, right? We're raised to believe that seeing is believing, and Scripture tells us that believing is not seeing. Hebrews 11 says, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things unseen. Indeed, faith is believing in the exact opposite of what you see. For that is how God reveals himself to us. God always wears a disguise. Even in the, the greatest example of it is that he sends his son Jesus to live his life as a man, to suffer as a man, to, to die as a man. But we know that Jesus is God. Or in our, maybe in our, in our own lives, think about it this way. For most of us, you, you do your daily work. You sweat. You, maybe you put up with rude customers. You deal with unruly students. Or you do the whole hum work of your daily grind. Yet faith says, my labor is holy and divine work. For I am God's tool that he uses to take care of others. Or maybe we, we feel the pains of this life. You know, like we sweat and we hurt. We cry. We feel pain. You wonder, how long is this going to last? Yet your faith says, I am a blessed child of God, pleasing to him, and I have life forever in Christ. So Thomas, Thomas takes his hand and he reads it like, like braille as he touches the wounds in Jesus' hands. Love inscribed into the skin of Christ. Believing is not seen. You see, to believe is to confess that God is where God seems not to be. To confess that God is good even when everyone around us says that he's not. To confess that what is really real is the, is the God hiding behind the exact opposite of what you see. That is faith. 
And that's why faith is a gift, right? We can't, we can't do this on our own. We, don't, we can't muster faith on our own. We're, we're just like Thomas. We, we deem these things to be real. Like when we, you think about the problems, the storms that you're in in your life, those feel really real. There's no, there's no greater sense of what death is like until you see a freshly dug grave. For a lot of us, there's no greater sense of despair until you see that bank account fizzle to nothing. On a day-to-day basis, maybe it's a child who won't listen or a spouse who won't care, peers who mock you, friends who betray you, a conscience that just won't shut up, a job that doesn't satisfy a sickness that grows stronger and more vicious day by day. Those are the things that we consider real. And in our, in our sinful minds, we consider those things real, and then we say, that, see, that's evidence. That's evidence that God doesn't love me. That's evidence that God is punishing me for something. But my friends, faith is, is not seen. It's, it, it's believing in what is not seen. Thomas was as we are. And just like Thomas, Christ doesn't appear and punish you for your doubt. But he extends that nail-scarred hand toward you and gives you his peace. When our doubt causes us to lean out, Christ is the one who pulls us in to him. Reach here, he says, and see my hands. Do not doubt, believe. Thomas reads like Braille, the scarred message of love inscribed on the Savior's skin, and he believes. He sees with the eyes of faith who Jesus really is. He exclaims, my Lord and my God. And that is the way of our Lord the way of grace. He doesn't abandon Thomas in a sea of doubt, yet he drowns him in a sea of grace. He stretches out his nail-scarred hands and pulls him in, and he does that for you as well. Here's, Here's the great exchange. Jesus takes your doubts and your fears and your shame and your bitterness, and he makes them his own. And in exchange, he takes his faith and his hope and his life and his joy and his glory and he gives it to you. He doesn't remove your outward troubles. He gives you something so much better. He gives you inward peace. He may leave you in that place of dysfunction, your disease, your addiction, your pain, but he will not leave in place a heart empty of peace. Because that's what he's all about. Giving to you the peace that passes understanding. The kind of peace that knows that no matter how faithful you, excuse me, how unfaithful you have been, God will never be unfaithful to you. The kind of peace that knows that no matter how great your sin, Christ's love is always greater. 
the kind of peace that knows that no matter how bad this world seems to get, any suffering here does not compare to the glory that will be revealed to us in heaven. That's the kind of peace that Christ gives. Peace of heart when surrounded by 10,000 enemies. Along with Thomas, we know these things to be really real. The mercy of the Father who never denies his children the love of Christ given and shed for you in body and blood and the grace of the Holy Spirit who gives you peace beyond understanding. Would you pray with me? God, you are so good to us. God, it's easy to say that, that we're thankful. We're thankful, but we're, like we're, we're, our thankfulness is not equivalent to how good you are to us. We could spend the rest of the day, the rest of the week, the rest of our years in this place praising you for your goodness. Beyond all of that, you still love us. God, I know for a fact that's, that people in this room need to know that you love them, that you've forgiven them, that you are the one who gives peace in a time of despair, that you're the one who gives comfort in a time of chaos, that you stretch out your nail-scarred hand to us and wrap your arms around us and say, I love you. God, would we know that this day? Praise your name. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.